Joy to the world. All the boys and girls. Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea, etc., etc. If you don't know that song, go look it up. Joyology is what we're talking about this week. Uh, look, we've got meteorology, uh, we've got biology. Um, but do we have a study for joy? Do we have an understanding for, for happiness? You might be surprised to know that the whole field of study into joy and happiness is actually a very new one. Um, it only goes back about as far as the 1990s. And this understanding of what it takes to be joyful and happy, even though we've studied things like depression for hundreds of years, um, is a relatively new science. And I had the privilege of speaking to someone who has devoted herself to this understanding of joy and making um, a more authentic connection possible between people. Uh, her name is, well, actually, I'm not going to tell you because I say that at the beginning of the intro to my chat with her. All to say, this topic of emotional intelligence and authentic connection has been one that has captured my attention over the last little while and has made a fundamental change to the way that I try and interact with those closest to me. Um, it's been incredibly impactful. And so having had the privilege to speak to someone who has made this their life mission, I had to share it with you. So here she is. So this week, it is my very great pleasure to have, in fact, my first international guest on the Andrew Curtis show, Pat Armitstead. How are you? I'm actually pretty wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you are pretty wonderful. I love, I've loved reading about what you do um, because of, uh, through your website, Joyology, and people are going to find out more about that as we talk. But um, I thought to start with, uh, even when people hear the term Joyology, obviously there's something to do with happiness and joy involved there. And we, we seem to have a pretty miserable culture, Pat. What's going on? Yeah, I think... Um... <laughs> There's uh, a lot of uh, emotional flatlining mm. and it's not just, you know, Australia and New Zealand. I think it's it's a, a global thing. Mm. Um, how long has it been there? I mean, I don't know how we measure that, but the incidence of depression has been rising yeah. in the last 50 to 100 years, um, exponentially so. And, yeah, one has to wonder, you know, what's happened um, that this has come to be. Yeah, How and when you, when you say emotional flatlining too, what are, you, what are you referring to there? Just a level of um, dejection, mm. people just being satisfied with the status quo, um, people, uh, I mean, we talk about experiencing peaks and troughs and that's probably pretty normal for most of us emotionally. Yeah. But the emotional flatlining I referred to, I think, comes from a, a place of resignation. Not everybody, but, you know, mm. a significant number of people perceive that they're helpless to change the situation. And I'm saying that just based on the last 20 years or so of my work. Yeah. And ha have reached uh, a level of just feeling resigned about things. And so they just accept what's happening mm. and can't find the wherewithal to reignite that spark that um so where do you others... think this came from yeah we, we did this kind of i don't know this this the state that people seem to be in what what do you think might have caused it well i think i think one thing may well have been i know i was never equipped for change so none of my schooling equipped me in any way whatsoever for how fast the world changes now. 
Yeah. In my early years, I had um, a job as a registered nurse for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And indeed, I probably could have continued in that role forever. Um, and there were always opportunities there, but it, I did reach a plateau where I couldn't go any further really um, in, in any of the roles that I'd been occupying. So the, but there was a level of certainty around all of that work. Right. I had, um, there was a pathway to take and I could be pretty much assured of employment forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's not here now. Life is quite different sure. where people from my era might have had two or three occupations perhaps. Yeah. It's not unusual to be shifting and changing every couple of years. Mm. And we haven't been prepared for that. That is so hard. Mm. And then the the level of learning that's expected of us in the workplace, and this is where a lot of the dissatis- dissatisfaction arises in the nurse, nursing profession, yep. is things change so quickly. There's not the scope to accommodate individuals' need to, um, you know, process. Yeah. And so the um, many people end up being unhappy and frustrated and for all of the change that it's occurred we're still doing all of this paperwork <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll so preach that I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think it's just about that yeah but I do think um, change is something that we weren't prepared for and there's a level of it happening now what's true this morning is yeah. not true this afternoon yeah very so true. being being able to um, I can't say his name properly, but Shichama Haley, uh, okay. the man who wrote the book Flow. Okay. Um, you know, he talks about you know talks about being in flow, and mm. we've but we've not been equipped for it. You know, yeah. the younger people maybe, yeah, um, um, better able to do so. They've come through in a different era and grown up with technology. Well, I mean, you, you say that, but I mean, you know, we look at our we look at our culture these days, and I don't know if this. I think the stats are similar in Australia, but we have a big issue with our uh, youth suicide rates and things like that as well. So I think overall, people just are not coping with with the stresses and strains of life, are they? Yeah, I know. As a, um, I don't know how old I was, perhaps about ten, uh-huh. and we had my grandparents come to live with us for many years until they were no longer able to care for themselves, and then they went um, into care. Uh But I remember that that incredible connection with those three generations living in close association. And in our cultures, we don't see that so much. No. Uh, And I think that sense of community has become very fragmented. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't... You know the fast pace, two parents mm. working, mm. the the way in which we've had to or perceive that we've had to strive to get ahead. That's a um, very interesting and- point, actually. That that perception <laughs> about that. Uh, in fact, I want to come back to that um, because I think what's really cool, at the, at the risk of starting off on a on a more negative note, the cool thing for me about who you are and what you do was that you observed this this lack of joy and happiness in the world, and more particularly in your own life. 
um, and decided to do something about it. Uh, and that's what I really love about about your approach. So if you wouldn't mind, I think I'd, I'd love to uh, to hear from you too, more about what your experience was that kind of awakened you to this uh, and then caused you to, I guess, create this uh, this wonderful role of being a joyologist uh, and, and what kind of a difference that makes. So could you speak on that for a bit? Mm-hmm. The, uh, perhaps if I say at the outset, I never wanted to be a nurse. Right. I wanted to be an artist. Oh, no. And you were, an, you were a nurse for how long? 16 years, you said? 16 years. Yikes. <laughs> never, never picked up a brush. Oh, um, okay. And my mother had said to me, in her wisdom back then, uh, well, you know, that's lovely, dear, but I really think you should get a proper job. Uh, and, and so it was that I w- was sensible and went nursing. Um, after I left nursing, I went on a five-year working holiday around Australia doing many and varied things, working for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, uh, working on the set of the Flying Doctors television program, uh-huh. doing yeah. special effects and continuity, um, and among other things, Red or Wombat. <laughs> and um, following that, did not want to go back nursing, uh-huh. and by default ended up in advertising. I had my own small advertising agency for 11 years. Wow, that's quite and, a segue. Yes, <laughs> And it was there that I started to step into creative expression. I could express creatively in so many ways. Mm. And um, fast forward then to the year 2000, around that time frame, um, I experienced a a series of losses. Mm -hmm. I had um, lost my business here, um, relocated to New Zealand owing at that time $80,000. Yeah. I chose to repay that amount rather than I could have perhaps declared myself bankrupt, but mm-hmm. I really didn't want to uh, put myself in that place. Mm-hmm. Um, when I arrived in Auckland, <laughs> uh, the first 18 months that I was there, I had 10 car accidents. Whoa. And <laughs> could you get insurance by the end of that or did they just like, you know, wrap you in bull bars? <laughs> Well, I actually ended up having a wonderful association with AA Auto Records. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, lifeline client. Do you get one of those little uh, preferred customer cards after a while? They just like stamp it every time you come in? Absolutely. We we did it for each other. After about the third accident, he first, the owner used to come and get me personally and take me for my next appointment. First name terms Um, then? Pardon? You're on first name terms at the mall by then? Uh, he actually said to me, he said, Pat, he said, my accountant said to me, for goodness sake, stop worrying about the money. Leave that to me. You go and look after your customers. You do whatever you need to do. Right. Oh, wow. Look after people. Yep. That is a remarkable accountant. Absolutely. And, and a, a remarkable towie. <laughs> and auto wrecker, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had had cancer. Oh, goodness. I had lost my first daughter. Yeah. Uh, or my first child, a daughter. Yeah. Um, my family hadn't talked since 1989. Ooh. And um, at the end of about a two-year period when I was in New Zealand, my partner of 20 years left with another woman. So all of those other things I had pretty much coped with. I yeah. managed. It was I faced, you know, my responsibilities. I repaid that 80000 in two yeah. years which is a pretty remarkable feat, I think. It is. Um, And begun again. Um, But the 
the, the words and words and sentences are really important to me now. When yeah. my partner left, his practically his last words were, "No, I don't love you, and I never loved you." Oof. So wow. in that moment, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh. In that moment, I thought, if that's true, then mm. everything I've ever known is not true. Wow. And so I disintegrated. So yeah. I was in a fairly fairly depressed state. Uh-huh. My doctor wanted to medicate me. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I knew it was like, <laughs> no, actually, um, don't be surprised that I'm feeling this way given the range and scope of the events that have happened. Um, help me deal with my grief. And yeah. she wasn't equipped to do that. And yeah. I went looking for answers. And That's a my... stunning insight. Even in that moment that you knew that whatever the cause of your, your pain was, um, was something to be faced as opposed to something to be avoided or medicated. That, that yes. seems to be an amazing distinction in our culture about how we deal with these kind of things. Yes. It's very, very easy. Well, it's not easy, but um, <laughs> many, many um, operate over the top of. Yeah. Right? Pain, is, pain is squashed down. Yeah. And we put on, put on a mask and we, and we go out and face the world and people never know the truth of who we really are. Mm. And this period of time for me was really about, I committed to myself at that time, whatever comes up in my life now, I'm going to go to it, whatever it is. And I've endeavoured to do so. And what that has created for me is a level of being able to see challenge still happens. (laughs) The external life doesn't alter. Life is still going to occur with all its challenges. But what I've been able to see is right alongside challenge, I've been able to see support. Mm. So I have all this paradox and synchronicity. I actually have hundreds of stories. Um, I journaled through uh, many of those years and so glad that I did to be able to see this evolving yeah. Consciousness right. that was occurring and the and the wisdom that was unfolding. Yeah. So was there when when you talk about that, because I, I kinda wanna drill down on that little insight moment. I suppose there might have been a few there, but um if I was to look at this from a complete outsider's point of view, you were based on what had happened and, and even some of your background and all that kind of stuff, you were not really the kind of person who was equipped, I say in air quotes. Uh, to to have a, a moment like that where you suddenly go in the midst of all this pain. Wait a minute, the way that people tend to deal with these things is not is not right, and I'm going to approach it a different way. Can you were, were there particular moments where that showed up for you in particular, uh, or did it just was it a, was it a step by step process? How did that how did that show up for you? Well, I think uh, initially I had gone to see my doctor because I knew I needed to to do something, take some action. Yeah. And her, you know, she immediately went to talking about medication and and I was really quite affronted. It was, <laughs> have you not heard what I've just been sharing with you about, you know, what's happened the last few years? Yeah. You know, are you not getting that? Um, and I so get, you know, she came from medical model and a very gifted mm. practitioner. Mm. But she wasn't really, she wasn't hearing me at the, at the level that I wanted to be heard anyway. Mm. And so I said to her, no. 
and I didn't really know, well, if I'm saying no to her, what, what will be my mm. next step? Yeah. Um, but the next step was actually shown to me. Yeah. There's, uh, you may well have heard of, she's now passed, but um, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Yes, I have heard the name. Yep. Yeah. She worked with the dying for many, many years. That's right. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And a doctor who had worked with her was coming to New Zealand, to Auckland, mm -hmm. to um, speak with parents who had lost their children. And he was giving a seminar at Starship Hospital, the Children's Hospital. Okay. And I thought, oh, I need to go to that. Right. And so along I went. Um, there were 400 parents in the room mm -hmm. who had lost or were losing children. Mm. So you can imagine the energy <laughs> in that environment. Yes. Yes, very, I can. Goodness. Very, heavy, very sad. Uh-huh. And um, uh, I sat up the front row uh, because I'm that kind of girl, you see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I sat next to a couple that night who actually changed my life. Right. The uh, seminar went for two hours mm -hmm. and he just talked about how they could get together once they left the embrace of Starship and start creating their own groups back mm -hmm. in their own communities, gave them a really good um, yeah, solid grounding on how they could begin once they left the embrace yeah. of Starship. Yeah. And um, the couple that I was sitting next to were the two that I was most aware of. His okay. wife just sat stock still for the whole two hours. She never moved. Wow. He, on the other hand, he was immediately next to me on my left, rocked backwards and forwards, um, clutched his shoulders, hugged himself. Periodically, tears would come to his eyes. His jaw would clench and unclench. And I felt his pain like I had felt no one else's pain ever before. Uh, and when I was nursing all those years, I saw a lot of things. Yeah. And um, at the end of the seminar, he left the room and went outside and I followed him. <laughs> I'm that kind of girl, you see. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, you know, you're clearly in a, a really difficult space. I said, you know, would you care to talk? And so he shared, and he was the father of a young boy who had fallen to his death in the IMAX cinema in the year 2000. Okay. I don't know if you would recall. Um, they were a group of them just inside the building, leaning on the balustrade, and just a terrible accident. He lost his balance and fell over backwards and mm. died as a result of the fall. Yeah. And he just shared with me, he said, you can see where my wife is. It's been a year and she's still not locked, with us, locked really. Up. Yeah. Locked away. There are two other children at home. I'm a bloke. He said, I can hardly deal with my own feelings, let alone try and hold all this together. Isn't that a tragedy, the modern age? We'll probably come back to that point at some point. Yep, but carry on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yep. so we talked for, you know, perhaps 20 minutes, half an hour. Mm. Um, highly value that conversation because we were strangers. Mm. And, you know, he shared very intimately, especially for a man. Yeah. And he had a hug. And I went home after that seminar and there was a an email, check my email as you do, mm -hmm. 
and I had an email from a magician in South Australia who was inviting me. Yes, magician. as you do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> who was inviting me to bring laughter workshops to New Zealand, and right. I thought. Well, I'll be blowed, you know. And so I thought, oh, it'll be about, you know, whatever time. So it was still a reasonable hour sure. to um, bring him. And so I rang him. His name was Peter Salerno. And I talked to Peter Salerno, the magician, for half an hour. And he never told me any jokes, but he had me laughing my head off. Right. Hilariously. Yeah. He was telling me about laughter yoga. Laughter yoga. Okay. So... And in the middle of that conversation, I got two things. Uh-huh. I just really got the stark difference between where I'd been sitting an hour or two before, mm-hmm. the energy in that room, yeah. and a couple of hours have passed, and now I have this extended period of hilarity with a magician. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just saw in my mind um, this, like, barometer yeah. um, was expressive of all of our moods, mm. and I just really got, there was an insight. It was like, I actually think joy is all of it. The fact that we can do, uh, we can feel and express all of that is actually incredible. And then there was a little pause in the conversation, and it was in that pause that um, I don't know where this message came from. Yeah. But it was, oh, my God. We've got radiology, pathology, hematology, but yep. no joyology. Yeah. I'm going to be a joyologist. I love that. I love that. Um, I, in, in kind of the last few months, it's funny how these things kind of come together and even me meeting you as well. Um, some things by chance, some things maybe not by chance. Mm. Uh, but I, I was watching a, a documentary just recently on Netflix that just talked about kind of this idea of happiness and saying how it's funny that for however many decades, even hundreds of years, people have studied depression and, and thought about depression and sadness and all this kind of thing. But the actual, if I was to say the discipline or the study of, of joy and happiness is actually relatively recent. Uh, uh, yeah, again, as you say, probably about only the last say, 15, 20 years, even in, in yep. the circles of psychology, has it actually been yep. given any credence? Yeah. I think the, the shift began with Seligman, Martin Seligman, in 1995. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you bring that up because when I was nursing for six years, I was a matron, was the term then, yes. of a 79-bed um, rest home. And I had been very concerned that people were, elderly people were being admitted and they were deteriorating very quickly. And I just thought, it's too fast. <laughs> Why mm. are they going downhill so quickly? Mm. And I had I read at that time uh, one of Seligman's earlier books, which was called Learned Helplessness. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar and, with the work, yeah. Yeah. The ess- you know, one of the essences of, of what that book is saying is that when you take away control of activities of daily living, yeah. people can perceive that they're helpless. Right. And yeah. And so reading that and getting those few distinctions enabled me to look at how we do business <laughs> here in this rest home yeah. and how can we how can we do it differently so that you know we give some of the power back. Where yeah. we can um, to resonate. Yeah, it, it actually makes um, me think so too. So it's interesting to me. Sorry, yep. carry on. Yep, carry on. Right. Um, 
you know, the passage of time and I get to read learned optimism, yeah. <laughs> authentic happiness. Yeah. Um, and some of the other tomes are written by Seligman, do some of his um, work and study. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole, the whole switcheroo from a depressed model of looking at um, well-being, if you like, which is where psychology had been for so long, yeah. and then the shift over to, um, you know, the space that we're occupying now with positive psychology. Mm. And the chap I mentioned before, whose name I'd love to be able to say, Sheech Jumahaley, he and Seligman and other noted professors um, who worked in in that arena had um, been away for a fortnight, um, Mm -hmm. endeavouring to bring together um, the pieces of how they thought this positive psychology thing might happen and they really struggled in the beginning yeah and then seligman had a moment in the garden with his five-year-old child uh-huh. i don't know if you've read this in no no, please, no no please carry on and so he said i'm i'm time urgent <laughs> so when i'm weeding in the garden i'm weeding yeah and his daughter his name escapes me five was, you know, dancing and singing and generally distracting him. Mm-hmm. And so he shouted at her and she walked away, but she came back very quickly and she said, Daddy, I want to talk to you. <laughs> Do you remember when I was four? When I was four, I used to be always whining. And then when I turned five, I decided I wasn't going to whine anymore. Uh-huh. And I think you could do the same. (laughs) Oh, that is amazing. That is priceless. (laughs) And therein began the shift. Yeah. Because he said what I realized in that moment Mm -hmm. by by his own confession, um, he's been, um, you know, (laughs) he says in there, he said, all my life I'd been living under a black nimbus cloud, this cloud of rain, and yeah. darkness followed him everywhere. Uh, so how interesting that he creates positive psychology. Mm. And um, in this moment, his daughter brings him a very powerful distinction. Mm. And he said, I realized then, even though I'm not good with children, mm. that my role from that point on was to foster that precocious strength. Yeah. Because... What she showed was what would allow her to manage life's many challenges. Mm. It's interesting too, actually, on on that front. Even when you talk about your own own story in the, um, you know, with looking after the elderly too, a, a trend that I've seen in people who have this transformative effect. Um, and in fact, in, in other people I've spoken to with this podcast as well, is that um, often the challenges that they've experienced. Uh, the term I like to use because it's a bit grandiose and dramatic, uh, is that it, it it kind of becomes the architect for its own destruction. You know, that a person experiences something that's that can be negative and destructive and, and harmful. Um, but through through an insight that they have about that, they end up creating the solution to the thing that was creating so much pain and 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 difficulty in their life, as as you've kind of done with this with, with joyology as well. 
Yeah. I say to people now, <clears throat> I didn't learn about joy by studying joy. Right. I learned about joy through experiencing shame, grief, and embarrassment. Wow. And wow. Um, the you know, the full expression of that has been very much an evolving journey, even through to recent weeks, when for the first time, I shared a very, very vulnerable part um, of my life that I hadn't shared with anybody yeah. before. Yeah. Um, and and so there's this, and I'm sure you've heard the term, but you know, we're, we're always peeling away the layers of the onion. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are we ever done? No. <laughs> right. But to find the book, my I'm writing my story at the moment, mm-hmm. and I'm calling it Joyful Empowerment. Mm-hmm. Bec- and subtitle, The Only Way Out is Through. Mm. So, you know, when we, it's been my experience, when we go to it, yeah, it's not there. Right. Right. So the, the closer we get to the thing uh, and we do the exploration and do whatever work we need to do yeah. to, um, you know, to be at peace around it. Um, mm. For example, I was extremely jealous yep. of the woman that, that my partner left mm-hmm. and that jealousy was very ugly. Yeah. Oh, I and think I, you know, nobody, I don't think anybody listening who could put themselves in that situation would hold it against you. So uh, that's probably <laughs> understandable. But I knew I knew it would it would be very bad for me. Right. Right. It's very ugly. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you know the work of Candace Pert. No. Molecules of Emotion was her first um, major text. Mm-hmm. Um, groundbreaking work um, for number one being a woman and mm-hmm. um, being a woman of our times. Um, she was the first to seed the idea based on experiments she'd done mm. that our thoughts create our emotions which create uh, chemical changes in our body which right. produce dis-ease. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Actually, can I can I jump in on that point because mm-hmm. I think that's incredibly powerful. When when you spoke about that, something that I have for myself as well, I've come to an understanding of in the last little while is that the extent to which our thinking creates our emotional state. Because a lot of us, or I know, I'll speak for myself, actually, that's not fair. I would have looked at things previously. If you had asked me how my day was going or how things were going, I would point to things that had happened in my day. And I would say, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. And if they were good things, then I felt good and I had a good day. Uh, But if bad things had happened, blah, 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 well, then these things had caused my bad mood uh, and therefore... You know, I had had a bad day. Um, but that understanding, in fact, that it's really our thinking about those circumstances either way that makes the difference um, was quite a paradigm shift for me. So I'd love to hear your perspective a little bit more on that front as well. Yep. Um, I think once we, once we're able to see who we're being in various circumstances, for example, that jealous aspect of myself. Mm-hmm. When I was able to see that, I was very confronted by it. Mm. I, I didn't like, um, I didn't like the way it had me. It really had me, and it yeah. had me for about six months. It took me about six months of day by day working <laughs> on that. Sure. And when I was free, 
when I saw this woman again, I said to myself, oh, my goodness, she looks just like his mother. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. So. Yep. Okay. I, ha- I had shifted. Yeah. And as mm. I shifted, now my perception of her before was that she was a beautiful, slim blonde. Right, right. But once I'd done the work, sure, I didn't see that anymore. So tell me about the or work. Like, what was what was that work that you did? What did that look like? Well, I, prior to all of this, I don't think I had any particular spiritual practices that I would have indulged in mm-hmm. um, very much. Uh, I would have led a good life mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and endeavoured to do so. But I did a lot of um, prayer work. Mm-hmm. I started meditating. Mm-hmm. Um, I became involved with the um, practice of the virtues from the virtues group. Mm-hmm. So I was really starting to go within rather than look outside for an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I And this was all inst- instinctual, really, um, there were various people around me who guided me a lot to, uh, especially for meditation. Mm. And um, before write, all this happened, I, would you have considered yourself open to that kind of instruction or not? No. Yeah, no. I wondered. Because <laughs> you know, you mentioned that about how you need those kind of moments, and I, I can honestly say for myself, you know, you, you those kind of. I don't know how, how you describe them, those cataclysms we can experience, man. Like you, you see the value on them, but I also have been aware for myself that probably without some of those disappointments that I've experienced, would I have been open to um, that change in perspective and that, that different approach? Uh, and if I'm honest with myself, I would have said no too. Yeah. I had one dear friend and she suggested to me, One thing you might like to do, Pat, she said, I suggest you keep writing um, this other woman a letter. So you write to her uh, and you write to her of your love for her. And she said, and when you're able to do that in all truth, then you'll be free. So, and then she said, and you burn that at the front door, my front door of my house. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of woo-woo stuff mixed in amongst that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so... I worked on that for a time, and then when I, I thought, yeah, I'm feeling pretty happy about what I've just written there on that one page. Uh, mm-hmm. It feels very much me, and um, um, you know, me taking responsibility for you know my part in any of this, even if though I didn't know what it might be. Mm. And I went. So That's an interesting point, actually. I want to jump in on that just very quickly yeah. as well. That that idea of. Um, your your role in that whatever it may or may not have been now if again for anybody listening we're not necessarily saying that we are perhaps directly to blame for the things that happened but your i guess what it is you you identifying the things that you possibly could be responsible for is that yeah. a fair way to look at it yeah. how would how would you describe yeah. that when you were looking to articulate those those feelings or your part of that well i think a major I'll call it a distinction, a major learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After this, I was able to see 
if I had not been in a place of, if I had not been consumed by jealousy, yeah, would there have been a different outcome? Wow. Wow. Uh, because for many months he protested, oh, she's just a friend and we just worked together and even oh, though he right. didn't come home and there were other things, uh, but he would never, you know, I thought, well, let's have it to dinner and he never did. All right. Um, but I saw later, now, if I, so there would have been, for me, I see now, a mm. level of codependency in the in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So if I had not had that and therefore was not consumed by jealousy, yeah. um, then, you know, it may have happened that he would have had that relationship in whatever context uh -huh. um, and it might not have meant separation. Yeah, so sure. I don't want to deliberate whether the pathway sure. was right or wrong. Mm -hmm. But who who I was being certainly could um, have influenced the outcome and influenced my level of pain. Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of courage to look at yourself like that, though. Yes. What so would you What would I, you have attributed that to? Where'd you get that courage from? I think uh, it was my second relationship. Mm -hmm. um, both times they'd left with other women. Okay. So it was like, well, I'm the common denominator here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, what am I doing? You know, it's like what consciously or unconsciously, what part am I playing mm. in this? Yeah. You know, and that's not to say I was... Or you know, to blame. But yeah. there's a part, you know, there's a there's a saying from um, Landmark, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, yep. they they say they say a couple of things, you know. Are you being cause in the matter of your own life? Right. Um, and who are you being that you you know that you attract certain experiences? Sure. So and that they come for you know for the lessons that they provide. So mm. with that thinking. Um, there was, I needed to evolve mm. and, um, I think when that happens, we, we meet a Mack truck, Mack trucks got different, yeah. uh, different, um, visuals, you know, yep. it looks different way in different circumstances, but the truck, the truck arrives in in some form to yeah. to wake us up to yeah. you know and it's like car accident um oh one number one it's like oh you didn't get that time here's another one <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah and you know so and that was a, a heavy period repaying yeah. debt yeah. uh constantly in communication with the people i owed money from the video mm. production company mm. Um, I communicated my way out of it, but it would have been taking its toll inside my body, even though sure. I was, you know, being brave and right, uh, sucking it up and stiff up a lip and all that kind of nonsense. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Wow, I must admit, while you were while you were speaking then about that that process of being confronted, I can think actually in my own life in the last little while too those moments where. Yeah, I, I guess that, that taking ownership for myself of saying, I would have put it like this for me. I said, well, you know what? I, I chose this. You know, I, I made the choices that, that led to this. And, I, and I, again, if somebody's listening to this kind of thing, 
um, you do want to make a distinction of saying, particularly if there's been a bereavement or something like that, it's not like we create these kind of things. But I think it's that our um, the kind of person that we are, and you mentioned that as well, you know, in terms of, you know, if I'm a jealous person, I have these experiences that cause jealousy all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And and it's remarkable to me in, in my conversations with different people, and I, I honestly, my heart goes out to them, but in the moments, I suppose, I find it hard to break through to them with this, that some people seem to have these ongoing experience, positive experiences of people. You know, they say, oh, people are great. People are lovely. People are really kind. And other people seem to have this ongoing experience of being let down, being taken advantage of, uh, a negative experience of people. And, and both of those individuals are living on the same planet. So, <laughs> you know, is one of them just extremely lucky and one just runs into all the good people and the other one runs into all the bad people? Um, you know, that, that was kind of the thing. So for me, I, I, I had that kind of moment uh, actually just kind of early this year. I think, well, you know what? I'm, I'm choosing some of the stuff that's, that's going on here. I can't control everything. I'll never be able to control what everybody else does. Uh, but I can control, you know, or, or at least, as you mentioned, become aware that I'm playing a part in this and, mm. and, and take things from there. Mm. <clears throat> so tell me, to... tell me about, tell me about this crusade then to, to bring joy to the world, as it were. Um, you, you've been through these experiences and had this, uh, this insight on and understanding yeah. about now the world needing a joyologist. So what did the next steps look like for you? <laughs> How did you go about doing that? Well, a couple of things. I had no idea what that vision, like there was no picture <laughs> for what that would look like. Sure. And um, started asking for help, asked for a lot of guidance, and I'm holding my hands up to the <laughs> heavens. It's like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you, sure. You gave me this idea. Let's um, let's work with it. Mm. Um, and after about two weeks of throwing it around, I thought, oh, I need to get clever. Mm. So I went across and learned yoga laughter, okay. came back, and I had a friend who owned a rest home, and I said to her, look, I would like to come in and teach your residents and staff this um, laughter yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like them to do it every day for 90 days, mm -hmm. and um, I have no idea what's going to happen, but, you know, can we try it? Mm. And so we did, <clears throat> and alongside that, just as weeks passed, I thought, Pat, if you think you're going to build this into something that could be a business, uh, you're going to need some really clever help. And I had heard of Mike Hutchison, who was MD of Saatchi and Saatchi at the time, mm. and I'd heard what a genial, good-natured man he was, and I thought, oh, I so have to meet this man. Yep. So I got myself an appointment with Hutch and was actually terrified <laughs> by my what am I going to say to this man when I get in sure. there? And then an idea came to me. I yeah. went to the post box one day yeah. and there was a miniature bottle of Dettol. Okay. And I don't know, I looked at that bottle of Dettol and it just came in. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, I know what I'm going to do. So I took that bottle of Dettol, a, a makeup sponge, okay. two cotton buds and a Band-Aid. Okay. Wrapped it in clear cellophane, put in a little treasure chest, and when I met Mike, gifted him with this little box. He opened the lid and lifted it out, and as you might guess, he said, um, what's this, Pat? Yep. <laughs> and I said, well, Mike, I'm not here to sponge off you, <laughs> but I do have the germ of an idea. It's got a couple of applications, and I don't want it to be a Band-Aid job. 
Blah, blah, blah. Joyology. Oh, the puns. Oh, I love it. Yep. <laughs> will you um, will you be my mentor and will you help me source funding? Yep. And he just said yes and yes. First five minutes of the meeting. Oh, and brilliant. we've been good friends and colleagues ever since. We've presented side by side at conferences. And um, in that moment, I was still pretty broken then. Yeah. Probably three or four months post the separation. Mm-hmm. And I just got, it's like I wasn't even with this man five minutes. And he said yes and yes to some pretty outrageous questions. Yeah. Um, given there's only five minutes. Uh-huh. Um, and he never needed to do another thing really because yeah. that he could believe in me was sure. all I needed to begin again. Yeah. And I just really get that. It's like sometimes we only need one person. Yeah. One person yeah. to believe and that's enough. Mm, how true that is. How true that, that is. It's, it's about humanity connecting. Let's talk about connection, actually, because when we uh, we spoke just the other day to kind of first touch base about things, this idea of connection and and true connection with people um, is something of a lost art, I believe. Um, So how does that play a role in in what you do now? Tell me about connection. What would you what would you speak to about that? When I made my first business plan in 2004, um, I did a 20-year plan. So, <laughs> what is that uh, even like? My goodness. If I had a two-year plan, I'd be impressed with myself. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so my vision for 2020 uh-huh. was we would be having an intimacy revolution. An intimacy so, revolution. I want that T-shirt. So we, carry on. <laughs> so we don't have much time. Yep. And um, that's been a real guiding force for the level of communication and the kind of communication I've yeah. I've worked every year on um, ways to elevate my verbal expression in my written expression I felt I was I had a level of mastery yeah but I didn't always have complete flow for the level of words that I want to say um, face-to-face, person-to-person, to be able to speak more freely, to speak my truth, to yep. be moving past the sensor. One of the biggest um, gifts that I've had is a gift from the performing arts, especially improv acting. Improv oh, right. teaches you that first thought is correct. Okay. But you and I have probably both been brought up in an environment where Oh, I better not say that. If yes. I say that, someone's going to get yeah. upset. So we go with second or third thought. Sometimes it can be so far removed from what we mm. really believe. Mm. <laughs> um, so improv helped. Improv freed me yeah. from that. In fact, if and, I was to add a little to my own experience of that, even with this podcast, I think one of the things that unlocked this for me was being prepared to, even when somebody else is speaking, that that moment where you hear something go, oh, and that touches <laughs> something that you want to speak to, Yes. And go, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to follow through on that. Here's my question. Um, yes. And that's what guides me with this. So I totally connect on that level. So anyway, please continue. And and that's what so many people miss in conversations. Yeah. You know, they're, <clears throat> I believe, I use the term good humoured a lot. Okay. 
my definition of being good human is to be appropriately responsive or not. Okay. And you can't make that distinction unless you've got very clever listening. Mm. You know, you've got to be listening with all your senses yeah. to know uh, when to interject and, you know, when to be quiet and when you can do things and when not. Mm. And um, perhaps the best example I ever ever have had of that was on tour with Patch Adams. Yep. He was sharing with me one day uh, that his mother was a diabetic and she'd had one limb removed because mm. of poor circulation. Yeah. And um, he made sure he was there when she woke up from the anaesthetic. And he's got this big booming voice. And so Ma's eyelids are fluttering open and he's patting her hand and he leans in and he says, well, Ma, now you know what it's like to have one foot in the grave. <laughs> Perspective. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not every, anyone, right, only Patch could say that to his mother. Right, right. You and I could not say that unless we had relationships. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So being able to develop high trust environments has been a, a very high focus sure. that I've had this last 16, 17 years. Uh-huh. All of which I was doing beforehand, of course, all those years nursing, yeah. but I wasn't conscious. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's, I guess, what I was alluding to earlier, you know, these these experiences that we've had that... I guess at the time were just, I don't know, what we were doing. And then you kind of suddenly cast back and go, oh, okay, look at that. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the lessons that you pull from the ether, so to speak. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So sorry, then, and... sorry, carry on. Gone. I was just going to say then, so when we're talking about um, applying these lessons in a, I don't know, I mean, you've worked in a lot of kind of corporate settings and things like that as well. How does this conversation start, this idea of, of making joy? It, it's not a traditionally, again, air quotes, corporate message to be mindful of joy. Um, and in fact, in my observation, we've had um, a number of years, I would say going back, say, to the 80s, where you know the greed is good thing started to come and where profit was the number one motive. Uh, and we had even the evolution of this idea that you could do something or other that was just business. You know, you could treat people or treat somebody in a certain way, but hey, look, it's just business. Um, so to start to transition to this idea of of joy and and authenticity and I guess vulnerability as well, how do you how do you bring that up in a room full of accountants? <laughs> I have a friend in Wellington who actually held an art exhibition with a bunch of accountants once, and she uh-huh. called the art exhibition Why Accountants Don't Paint. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sidetracking. <laughs> <laughs> One of the – my pathway was when I first started the, the first couple of years and I first started pulling programs together, following doing these pilot programs in aged care, that kind of gave me the base from – all of what, all of my nursing background and mm-hmm. how I could be, you know, bringing some of that to the fore and creating programs. And I started approaching the health sector. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, appreciated, you know, with their budget, I wasn't going to um, necessarily do particularly well. So mm-hmm. um, I needed to look at the business world as well. Uh-huh. And when I first started ringing um, the business sector, 
a typical reply would be, well, look, Pat, thanks very much for your call, but, you know, um, we, we have fun around here on Friday after work. <laughs> this is actually serious business, and um, thanks for uh, your call. We schedule fun between 4 and 5.30 on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. things have changed, and the biggest huge distinction for me, I had the daring do to present at Auckland Chamber of Commerce a presentation called Engaging with Intimacy. And in the room were six of the staff. Engaging from... with intimacy. Oh, that would have just yeah. gone down a treat when they found out the topic of that. Um, in the room were six people from Kensington Swan, the law firm. Uh-huh. And they came to me afterwards and they said, we so have to get you in to come and work with us. We've just started a five-year, five-year mm. client intimacy program. A well, client intimacy program. Client intimacy. It's Goodness. like all, all my dreams came true in that moment. Oh, gosh. You know, you say that, and at the same time, I can imagine somebody at Kensington Swan saying, all my nightmares have come true as well. Well, they, well the lawyers especially did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't especially enamored in oh, the first instance. Oh, um, the stirrer you know, in me the, just loves that. Okay, carry on. Yeah, so in the beginning, they just created... Um, all manner of experiences whereby all the ancillary staff could mm-hmm. get to know each other and engage at a deeper level. Yeah. And then moved across to the lawyers. Um, and there had been, you know, some resistance there. Can't we just call them friends? And um, <laughs> Can't we just be friends? Uh, anyway, yeah. yep. However, the, the long-term um, output was that Kensington Swan were invited by Abu Dhabi to mm. set up an office over there. Mm. And the people from Abu Dhabi who can affect that change mm. um, did everything in their power to enable that process to happen with ease and grace. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I talked to the uh, leader who was leading them through that five-year period, um, interviewing him actually for a, a magazine article, um, he said to me, you know, all that happened really was we shifted who we were being. Mm. So who we were being as individuals, we were still, you know, a highly respected law firm mm-hmm. and, you know, everyone still carried their portfolios and fulfilled on their roles in mm-hmm. an amazingly professional manner. Yeah. Uh, if the same woman is on reception, mm-hmm. I haven't been there for many years now, mm-hmm. uh, I know I would get out of the lift and she would look up and she would say, good morning, Pat. Right. Wow. Wow. Um, just so much, so much um, care at the customer interface. Mm-hmm. And the, it takes an awful lot of work to create an environment where people can be fully expressed in their own role, doing mm. what they do really, really well, mm. um, and still be at that really high level of professionalism. Sure. I love that idea of being fully expressed, by the way. Um, yes. That idea of, uh, I guess, honestly, and um, I mean, how, how would you characterize it, actually, that what does fully expressed look like? Well, I've seen that in 
our society especially, we honour sport and we honour academia. Mm -hmm. But there are many other strengths and intelligences that we have. We have emotional intelligence, Uh spiritual intelligence, practical intelligence, interpersonal intelligence, intrapersonal intelligence. Mm -hmm. We don't honour any of those in anywhere near the same way. Right. But if we can, in our in the individuals we work with, if we can foster their unique strengths amongst those intelligences and bring them to play in their job description, then magic just unfolds. Yeah. It's magic. Yeah. So and being able, um, that's got to be orchestrated from the top. I presented to the Foundation for Science, Research and Technology some years after Kensington Swan, and they had had a huge shift in how they be, mm-hmm. uh, and they um, were creating you know, something very similar. And just a joy to see this values-based operation rolling out and, and rolling out from the boardroom where it counts yeah. down to the next layer to the next layer to the next layer with um, very significant shifts and changes. Mm. And it made a difference at the bottom line too. Like I think that's what's remarkable even with, um, there were some articles I think with the Harvard um, Business Review, uh, Harvard Business Magazine, um, talking about now what these high trust cultures are, even if you're going to be cynical about it and say what's in it for me from a, as a business leader's point of view, that they are in fact um, more profitable, uh, more productive. Uh, and then in terms of costs as well, things like uh, retention of, of uh, high value staff and things like that becomes more of a, um, a feature of that workplace as well, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, there's... Um... In a lot of industries these days, there's a fairly high turnover. People yeah. stay a couple of years and move on to, yeah. um, you know, get other experiences. Mm. Um, so it really takes something, I think, to hold, especially some of your key staff. Yeah. Um, you know, maintaining a culture when there's a two-year turnover is mm. um, a very difficult thing to manage. So being mm. able to have uh, a stable set of folk, um who are there for you know a longer period and provide that um, what's the word <clears throat> groundedness? Sure. Um, I oh, think I is can't put a dollar value on that. That's that's no. yeah yeah no. yeah. Look, we're probably coming to our last, say, five or ten minutes, if I can force myself to stop this conversation at any point in the next week. Um, so a couple of things that have just popped up for me that I'd love to address before we do do close things up. Do you do you make a distinction between happiness and joy? And if you do, uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about that. I still think joy is all of it. I mean, the yeah. dictionary will say that joy is bliss. Uh-huh. I think joy is all of it. If we can get present to that full range of emotions that we can experience, if we can look at what those emotions in their uniqueness are telling us and how they guide us, they're great guidance tools, Mm. then um, 
this is this is where my whole idea of joyful empowerment comes from. It's like <laughs> uh, nothing joyful about all those episodes that happened back at the turn of the century for me. Yeah. But in fact, there was. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like at that. At a very yeah. deep level, you know, mm. I got to. <clears throat> it's like I mean, they talk these days. There's a lot of talk in the spiritual world about the veil lifting. Okay. But but there was that kind of thing my perception shifted mm. and when my perception shifted mm. i would still see challenge sure but i would immediately see support right which i might have missed in the past just through a, another level of awareness so by becoming mm. emotionally aware mm. we open ourselves up um it's like our vision and our hearing shifts and just yeah. becomes so much more expansive where we're a sensory being yeah but if we're disconnected from our senses yeah. then we're not interacting with this interact this external world yeah uh, to our full capacity if, if i was to speak on my experience of that how I'd, I'd characterize my journey on that front would be that um often and look this might have been cultural this might have been i guess partly uh you know uh, the more religious parts of my upbringing as well, but that whenever I experienced a particularly a negative feeling, um, not only was that feeling there, but there was also, for me, I would say even a sense of kind of guilt that went with that, that said, oh, no, you're not supposed to feel that way. You're not supposed to dwell on those kind of emotions. That's that's not the kind of thing that we do. Uh, and so you kind of choke it down, uh, you know, or you ignore it or you find some other non-direct way of addressing it, you know, anything but uh, being there in that moment. But you spoke to something there, which I'd love to hear more about as well, that idea of being present. Um, and, and again, to speak from my own uh, my own life as well, that it's very easy to either live in the past of the things that have happened and gone, if only these things were different, or looking to the future and saying, oh, it'll be great when. Um, but when you're in the middle of a, a struggle like that, to actually be in it and feel it and be like, I feel like insert word that I can't say in front of a junior audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is a, a shift that was quite profound for me, that whole idea of being present in that moment and just acknowledging it. Um, is that something you could speak to as well? Yes, you know, the, and by acknowledging that, let's yep. say it's grief. Let's mm. say, you know, it's terrible grief. Yeah. Um, in acknowledging that and expressing it, Mm-hmm then we release it. Mm. And so what was abject grief becomes just grief, for example, mm -hmm. trying to kind of provide some descriptors. And uh -huh. as we work through it, then so its experience is less, um, less impactful and we see a pathway to oh, now I'm feeling a bit angry about that. And um, so we acknowledge that. And then yeah. we're, we're in this constant space of shifting and changing. And we see, and the more you can get into that zone, then the quicker you can shift. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not to say we should always be, you know, we need to acknowledge grief. But sure. to... Um, like I could move very quickly now out of a space of feeling jealous, for example, sure, sure. compared to way back then where it took me, you know, three to six months to, um, to, to shift that. Oh, yeah. And the, 
think while while I was in that space, <laughs> wasn't no love going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, a bit. Not a lot of not a lot of humour and happiness. Yeah. And yeah, um, there was you know an incredible search, and I think part of this thing for happiness mm. is about finding meaning and purpose. Oh, I love that. Love that. I suppose you're uh, no doubt you've read Viktor Frankl's book on, um, uh, you know, man's search for meaning. That for me captured the the essence of yeah. that very powerfully. And you know, for the uh, something I'd like to share with the listeners mm. over the years, two common things that have served my soul: I love to speak, and I love to paint. Uh huh. So, all the years I was nursing, I was a nurse educator matron of the hospital so you know always engaging and um, teaching in some capacity when mm. I was in advertising the same did a lot of um, training into the business sector and mm. then what I've been doing now and and if the light goes on for somebody in the room whether it's in a small group or a big crowd at a conference mm. light goes on there's my moment mm. it's like I'm done it's like mm. yes I'm <laughs> yeah. done yep yeah. Um, and then when I paint, I don't need anybody. Right. But the two, for me, the two feed each other. Okay. My art is informed by my encounters with humanity. Yeah. So I love that. Able, Say that again. Say that again. My art is informed, and I'll send you some. My art is informed by my encounters with humanity. That's brilliant. I'll put that on a T-shirt too. That's brilliant. I love that. Oh, Pat, we could talk for hours, no doubt, but I do have to kind of probably wrap things up for people. So if if people have been listening to you and, and wanting to get in touch with you to either be a part of their, their business or, or, or learn more from um, what you have to offer, I know you, as you said, you've got books and things in the works as well. So what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you if they um, if they want to from here? Probably easiest if they go to the website, joyology.co.nz, mm-hmm. and um, there are various places within there where they can email or phone yep. uh, to connect along that path. Mm-hmm. Joyology.co.nz. Pat, you're a champion, and Thank I look you. forward to watching how you change the world from here. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. It's been a joy. Do you see what you did there? Huh? Joyology, Pat Armitstead. How cool was that? Man. Ah, you know, you should all start podcasts just so you can talk to really interesting people. Um, Joyology.co.nz if you want to make Pat a part of uh, perhaps your business, your organization, learn what she has to share. Uh, But an incredible story and one I think that can give hope and inspiration to any of us. I was inspired by listening to it and... In fact, if you look on her website, you'll see that the uh, uptake from the corporate sector uh, has been massive. So she has so much wisdom and knowledge to share. Please do get in touch with her. If you do want to get in touch with me, remember you can do that via the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. Um, man, that was good. So much fun. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate the fact that you take uh, an hour out of your life to listen to the people that I chat to. Um, looking forward to having another one of these ready for you very shortly. Uh, have an amazing time until then. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my pants, putting suckers in feet.